You are listening to Seattle Growth Podcast, available free on iTunes. We are very close to the finish line here. And if you're a Sonics fan and an NHL fan, uh, you know, uh, don't hesitate to write to your council members and make your voice heard and, and express your opinion. And if you have a strong opinion about uh, Key Arena or Soto, you should express it. I mean, I, and it, maybe if you even disagree with us, you should express it. But I mean, now is the time to actually make your voice heard. As Chris Hansen suggests, the time is now. City Council is in the process of deciding where to allow development of an NBA-ready arena in this city. Amplify your voice by expressing your point of view on Sonic Boom Day, Monday, April 17th. By expressing yourself on the same day as others from around the city, you will allow City Council to have a better view of what their constituents want. People are buzzing about Sonic Boom Day, April 17th. You've read about it on sonicsrising.com. You've read about it in geekwire.com. You've read about it in the popular Evergrey newsletter. You've seen your friends tweet and retweet and retweet about it. By now, you probably know what you will ask of Seattle City Council on Monday, April 17th. But how do you most effectively express your point of view? I'm Jeff Schulman, and in today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast, former Seattle City Council member Sally Clark gives you guidance on how to effectively engage with city government to get the arena that you want. With Sonic Boom Day approaching, today's episode helps Sonics fans and NHL fans have their voice be heard. But as you've learned on this season of Seattle Growth Podcast, the arena decision affects anyone who cares about the city's traffic, real estate, children, use of public land, and many more aspects of life in Seattle. Your voice deserves to be heard as well. On a broader level, today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast provides insight into how you can affect change in this city on any issue that sparks your passion. As we conclude this season of Seattle Growth Podcast, I have to say thank you to the passionate fans who urged me to cover the topic of what a return of the Sonics would mean to Seattle. Like many listeners, I moved to Seattle years after the heyday of professional basketball in the Emerald City. But I was moved by how deeply longtime Seattle residents were affected by the Sonics. Now, many Seattle residents, such as realtor Phil Greeley, can easily recall the feeling when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl. For that Super Bowl parade, that, that championship parade, you know, I brought my just barely one-year-old daughter there. It's freezing cold, and everybody around us is our best friend, and we have no idea who they are. But as former Sonics player Slick Watts puts it, We're a major class city. And I know the Seahawks is hot now, and but before there was Seahawks, there was the Supersonics. <laughs> and these Supersonics left an impression. Steve Hussey described the electricity when the Sonics won the NBA championship in 1979. Oh, people were high-fiving each other, driving down, driving. I remember I was home and road, going somewhere, and people were in both directions high-fiving each other, going by. I mean, it was awesome. It was on fire. His son, Jack Hussey, recalled the city being similarly captivated in the 1996 run to the NBA Finals years later. Everybody that had a brain would be watching the games. I mean, the whole town was on for that. That was a good time. And players and coaches spoke glowingly about the unbreakable bond between the team and the fans of Seattle. Hall of Fame coach Lenny Wilkins was touched by the support of the fans after the 1979 championship. 
to come home and have won the championship, to me, it was just a great feeling. Uh, uh, there's nothing to experience like it. When we got to the airport, there had to be about 30,000 people at the airport. Uh, there was over 200,000 at the parade. Slick Watts remembered the unique feeling of having Seattle fans cheering him on. We was playing a game, and I hadn't gotten a game yet that year. And we was losing, and the fans started, 18,000 started clapping and saying, Slick, 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 Slick. <laughs> and I called Mama. I said, Mama, I thought I was Moses. <laughs> I said, it scared me. I mean, it really did scare me to hear your name, 18,000 people all at once chanting. And I had goosebumps, and they were saying, we won't slick, slick, slick. And they put me, he put me in the game, and I had so much energy from, from the fans till I was like a funny cartoon. <laughs> I, was, I was going everywhere, stealing balls, landing up, scratching on the floor. Three-time NBA All-Star Detlef Schrempf was impressed by the unending fan support during the run to the NBA Finals. Uh, with the fans, the support we had, you know, people talk now about the 12s for the Seahawks. You know, we had that with our sixth man, um, not just at the arena, but uh, coming home from, uh, at the airport late at night. There, you know, there'd be 100 people waiting for us and cheering us on even after a loss. Um, so it was a really special bond that I think the team had with the city and the community. Sports may seem like child's play, but they really matter to a community according to academic experts such as University of Washington professor Jen Hoffman. There's a lot of good evidence out there that explains how sports franchises bring the community together, instill civic pride. Um, And there's also really good research that helps us understand how we are perceived by other individuals and other communities. So there's a bit of a a status effect, if you will. Um, And having professional sports franchises is 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 gar- helps garner some of that status um, to legitimize cities. But what is so special about basketball in particular? To many, nothing at all. But as Sonics fan Jeff Brown puts it, and I think maybe some things just click with you, right? Like we all have our passions, and that's I mean that's really for me. Basketball has always been that. And basketball has truly spoken to some of Seattle's residents. For example, it has helped develop one of Seattle's prominent executives co-president of Nordstrom, Pete Nordstrom. I ended up in retail, um, and it's been great for me, but I'm pretty sure there's there's no young people, when you ask them what career they want in life, that they would say something like, I want to be in retail. I mean, you know, my answer at that age is I want to be a basketball player. And I think a lot of that is because this, the Sonic thing was such a positive presence in, in, in my world. You know, particularly, at least the way I was raised in, in, in played basketball is a lot of what we were able to accomplish uh, as a team was because of working hard at it and executing, not just because we were the best players that naturally deserved to win every game. So I, I learned a lot of valuable lessons through that. And then I think the other thing is um, I, I grew up as a pretty fortunate and affluent person, I guess, relatively. And, you know, the great equalizers when you're on a basketball team, no one cares what your dad does for a living or anything like that. You're just trying to win a game. And and the Sonics have meant something special even to Seattle residents who are not fans of the sport per se. Lauren Henry described how Sonics player Detlef Schrempf changed her life. Just knowing what Detlef brought to, to Rise and Shine, I know that was one person, and he, he made the world a difference for Rise and Shine. So I, 
any bigger pool of, of athletes in our city is a good thing. One, it takes one of them to make a bigger difference. Debbie Frosto described what the Sonics meant to her professionally. Being a woman in the business, I wasn't out on the golf course. Not that there aren't a lot of women golfers, but I wasn't out on the golf course. It was something that I could do as a corporate leader in being able to take um, in where I was functioning, a lot of more businessmen, out to a social event, which um, allowed a lot of information and, and collaboration to happen in a much more networking social environment. So the sports arenas for that type of uh, business, I think, are very important. As we approach Sonic Boom Day on Monday, April 17th, I must admit, I'm actually not a Sonics fan. Rather, I'm a fan of the passion I see run deep for the green and gold almost a decade after the last NBA game here. I'm a fan of the people who have made this city great. People from diverse races, genders, educations, and political affiliations who have been brought together and inspired by the world-class athletes wearing Sonics uniforms. I arrived to this city too late to have been moved by the Sonics on the court, but I've been moved by the incredible men and women I've met on this journey in the second season of Seattle Growth Podcast. I've been moved by people like Dr. Ben Danielson of the Odessa Brown Children's Clinic, a man doing so much to help impoverished children in our city, who found Sonics player and coach Lenny Wilkins to be the father figure in his life that he missed growing up. I've been moved by people like Nicole Morrison, who has helped Detlef Schrempf raise and contribute roughly $19 million to life-changing programs throughout the city. I've been moved by people like Jeff Brown, whose experience as a Sonics fan bonding with his father has motivated years of gathering fellow Sonics fans together in a long-lasting Bring Back Our Sonics community. Sonic Boom Day is not about a fun diversion. Sonic Boom Day is about channeling a passion that burns ever so bright for so many longtime Seattle residents and channel that into an effective civic engagement. It is about the realization that not only do sports matter to our community, the infrastructure built to attract them matters to all residents. City Council is making an important decision about which arena proposal to support, a decision that could pave the way for the return of an NBA franchise that has meant so much to this city in the team's 41 years of existence, a decision that could affect our community's children, our real estate, our physical landscape, traffic, public land use, and more. Our city is transforming, and this decision can shape the direction of future transformation. Now is the time for all residents of Seattle to join Sonics fans in expressing what they want from our city leaders. And to give you guidance on how to have your voice be heard, I sat down with former city council member Sally Clark. I'm here with Sally Clark. She served on Seattle City Council for nearly a decade and is currently the Director of Regional and Community Relations at the University of Washington. Sally, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Go dogs. So why don't we start by having you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am a Seattle resident. I live in Southeast Seattle at this point. I work here at the beautiful University of Washington. And why don't you tell me a little bit about your role as Director of Regional and Community Relations? So my job actually is part of uh, what's called the, the Office of External Affairs. And my division, uh, my vast two-person division, three-person division, uh, is responsible for talking with the surrounding community around the Seattle campus and also with local government in this greater area. So that could be Bellevue, Seattle. Uh, it could be uh, service providers like King County with Metro being the, the big transit provider. And our job is both to help the university be a great neighbor, figure out how you bring the power of uh, all the great people inside the university here in Seattle, out into the community, and vice versa. 
And tell me a little bit about your time as a city council member here in Seattle. I was very lucky. I uh, uh, applied for what was an open seat at the time, and I ended up getting it. There were about 100 people. And I uh, served on the council, and, and despite uh, Mayor Nichols at the time telling me that I should stay as far away from land use as possible, I thought land use is actually kind of where it's at. It is where Seattle has the most difficult conversations about who we are now and who we want to grow up to be. And that is in every sense, both the physical world of what do what do our rules require for the building of a, of a townhouse or, a, or an office building, but also the culture of why we do things the way we do when we build in the city of Seattle or when we make a park the way we make it. When you, you come to what you hope is the best decision, uh, and maybe a few people are happy-ish, uh, but mo- most people are shaking their heads like, really? Is that the way we have to do it? And, and then you do it again. Then you try again and you try to make it better. And so you've been on both sides of the government decision-making. You were a, a decision-maker and now you're working with the University of Washington to work with uh, the current set of decision-makers. Let me start with a fundamental question as we're trying to leverage your wisdom for how everyday people can effectively influence uh, the government. Can they actually make a difference in what city council does? People can totally make a difference in what city council does. There are uh, there are better ways and worse ways to try to do that. And uh, there are so many ways now that people try to communicate with council members, and it's, it's changed vastly just in the past 10 years. So before I was a council member, a few years before that, I was a legislative aide for a council member in the uh, late 1990s. So Tina Podlodowski was a council member, and I was a legislative aide. And I'm going to ballpark that at that time, probably... 80 to 85 to 90 percent of the feedback that we got at the time was snail mail. It was letters. You got them together, you filed. I mean, part of my job was to figure out with Tina how to respond to those letters and to get them out in a reasonable time frame. Um, Shoot forward to when I'm on the council from 2006 to to 2015 and uh, totally flipped around. 90 percent by email and 10 percent is is by snail mail. And the snail mail uh, I think I think it would be true now, really skews toward, towards likely, broad generalizations here, but likely an older voter. That's gotten even more complicated with people attempting to affect conversations with Twitter, with Instagram, with Facebook, and trying to figure out how to harness the power of that at a local level. And um, I think there are I think there are some great examples where people have done it really well. And then there are some other examples where you can't really, you may have the greatest of intentions as you as you start that Twitter stream, uh, but you don't get to control necessarily who jumps onto your Twitter stream, and that's where sometimes things um, go sideways. Uh, and that social media lack of control is one of the things that's really great about it, and it's also one of the things where your goal sometimes doesn't get to be your goal anymore because it got it got broadened out too much. Do you have any stories of when you or council members were persuaded to change your thought process or? Uh, were open to the thought and, and decided to go with the response you got from everyday people? I think those happen um, all the time. I know people are looking for the, you know, is that what changed your mind about, you know, whether to vote for Bertha to dig under downtown or something like that? Those are those are much bigger ones where you've got a lot of public input coming in. You've You've literally got thousands of messages coming in, and it's over a long period of time, and then something happens and it flares up. You're also really putting all of the feedback that you're getting from the public into your decision-making with technical reports, with articles you're reading. I think the ones that I can think of where, where somebody's communication, either an email or a letter, you know, made more of a di- difference was really on, on smaller things 
or trying to understand the granular impact of a decision. And I'm, and I'm thinking of, uh, we made some zoning changes in the Ballard neighborhood that had to do with converting some of the really old kind of industrial zoning and, and making it more flexible for what you could do in those areas. Understanding who was there right then wasn't something that you could get very well out of a technical report. You could get it much better by having people actually call the office, send, send a letter, uh, or, a, or a personal email, not, not a mass email. Those are great. You know, you can do that. Hit click, send my message. Those are fine. Uh, but really, the council member, him or herself, sees that that campaign is going on. I don't personally think that it has as much power as you sending an email to say, here's who I am. Here's my business in Ballard. Here's why I do what I do. Here's what I love about the way things either, you know, whatever it is you're trying to advocate. Here's how I, here's why I love the thing that I am advocating that you should do and why I think it's the best answer. So let me ask you, you've kind of talked a little bit about various ways to get in touch with city council, um, social media, email, uh, you haven't mentioned, but phone calls and even attending public meetings for listeners who want city council to make one decision or another on this arena location. If they could only do one of those, which would you recommend? I would recommend the letter, frankly, and and I'm, I may I may not be representative of council members there now, but the letter gets read by the staff person. I can guarantee you that the, that the that the personal letters do go in the to read folder or scanned, however that council member has it happens to be doing it, uh, and it is it is something that gets noticed because it is a little less the usual than having 500 emails showing up. For, for folks who don't want to do the, the longhand letter, just make sure that your email is personalized. Make sure you're writing from you. and if, Or if you're given a template, that's cool. That's fine. I've given people templates for campaigns, too. Don't just send the template with your, you know, with your name on it. Put some stuff in there about you and why you believe. They, they want to hear from you. They are still tr- they're struggling to figure out how to make the right decision as well. And they're trying to find you know, the information that's important. It could be complementary to what they're already hearing from the staff reports. It might be stuff that is contradictory to the staff reports. That gives them something to go ask other people about and to bounce off of people. And what about a phone call? Where does that rank in the hierarchy? Phone call is good. So here's, here's the other message. Never underestimate how important it is to respect the staff. The phone call is going to be tough to get through to the council member. I'll just be honest. Council members are booked every minute of the day. Some of them are easier to get to with phone calls than others. And if you get told, oh, you know, council member, council member Jones is just not going to be able to get back to you, would you like to leave a message? Um, don't get pissed off. Don't hang up. Don't say, don't you know who the hell I am? Don't say, hey, I pay taxes. I should get a couple of minutes. Just don't do that. <laughs> I know it feels good. Don't do it. That staff person spends every minute of the workday with the council member. That staff person gets heard more than anybody else in that office. Um, Cultivate that staff person. Talk with that staff person. Say, yeah, I'd like to relay a message. Here are my three points. Um, Thank you very much, and I really appreciate it. And can I call you back again? Is this your number? Is there a tendency to dismiss the opinions of everyday people as less informed or uninformed relative to the council on these complex issues? I wouldn't say that there's a tendency to dismiss. I think that on the super complex issues, you you can certainly pick up the phone and, and tell somebody, I really needed to be at Key Arena because that's where I remember going to the games. 
And that's great. That's a very heartfelt thing. And some council members are going to make a decision based on the heart and say, you know, it's about money to fix the other stuff. They, they do need to pay attention to other factors in addition to how awesome it was for you to be able to go to the games in 1973. And that is traffic. That is impacts around businesses. That is, does the NBA even want to be there? Can they redo it? That is historic preservation. And so there are, there are things that they, that they will pay attention to in addition to that. As council members try to figure out how to, how to tackle the arena question, uh, some people will feel like they weren't listened to, like they were disregarded, they, and they, they never really had a fair, a fair hearing. And other folks will say, um, you know, you paid too much t- attention to the technical reports. Why didn't, you, why didn't you think about creative solutions? And other folks will say, yeah, that's 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 the outcome. If somebody is actually informed and, and has some understanding of this technical, so we've had uh, listeners who have paid ten, given 10 hours of their lives to understanding the ins and outs of the Sonics and what they could bring. We have others who spent hours and hours and hours reading everything they can about it. Is there a way for them to distinguish that they are more informed than the knee-jerk, I had a good time once uh, long ago? <laughs> I really miss the popcorn. There is a way for them to do that uh, by... by um, kind of just how they couch their how they couch their feedback i had to say i hesitate to say that that it's necessarily sort of the war of the experts but there's almost any issue you can pick where there's a war of the experts as a council member i could have you know five really smart people giving me five different takes on a on a decision and it's not that they're all completely full of it like they don't actually know what they're doing it's just that they may be reading the reports in a different way they may have a different uh, priority as far as what comes first in terms of the of how you make the decision so i say definitely learn everything that you can before you try to weigh into a complex subject because i'm a wonk that way it's how i spend my time uh you don't have to be that wonk like, like you, you should still feel free to be expressing yourself and saying why you think the right answer is the right answer. If you are that wonk and you gave 10 hours to figuring it out, um, say, hey, you know, I just want you to know this is really important to me and I took the time to learn about it. Um, it doesn't mean that the next person they hear from doesn't also say, hey, I took 10 hours to learn about this and tells them the exact opposite of what you just told them. Suppose you wanted to, to support a specific arena. Can you walk me through what an ideal conversation is like? So if you're calling an aide and you know that they're busy on Sonic Boom Day, April 17th, getting a lot of calls, a lot of emails, how do you get through? What's the best way to use their time and yours? You know, if you knew that April 17th was Sonic Boom Day and if that is the day where people are trying to generate feedback to the council, uh, I might call into that office right now and say, hey, I, I am wondering if I can set up just a 15 minute phone conversation with you uh, on the 17th, and I know it's weird to call ahead and make a 15-minute appointment with a staff person, but um, could could we do that? Like, could I could I have you from 2 to 2.15? That's totally fine. I mean, they're, they're, getting, they're getting meeting requests all the dang time. And you'd say, hey, I just, you know, uh, here's where I live. This is why it's important to me. Here are the things that I have tried to learn about this subject. Um, here's why I know that it is complicated. And uh, my, my hope is that Council Member X will choose this site. And I just want to give you uh, my three, three or five reasons why. And um, you can also say, look, I know that these are the two or three main arguments against this site, and here's why, I think you, here's why I think you can get around those arguments. And then you thank the person and be done within your 15. Can you boil it down to maybe three bullet points of the, the top most important things that people should keep in mind mm-hmm. as they're engaging City Council? The, the top things would be city council members, uh, uh, they, they actually do want to hear from you. you. You chiming in, you letting folks know what you think, 
is a really important part of the system. And I know people say that all the time, and it may sound trite, especially in, in the world we're in right now, uh, but it is real, and especially at the local level. So your, your input is fundamentally important. Um, there's a thing right now where in Seattle, council members get yelled at a lot in public sessions by, by folks who aren't really there to engage on, um, on a subject like this uh, constructively. Uh, don't be uh, don't be turned away by those folks. They are there for a particular purpose. You're there if you choose to go to a meeting like this to be heard, and that's great. Uh, take still still do it. If you don't get to go to a meeting, um, still you know make your voice heard via the, the the email or the mail, and again have it be a relatively concise message. And if you can thank them for wrestling with with the subject, that would be great. I, I would encourage that. Uh, don't tell them uh, if you if you don't do this, I uh, will never vote for you. Or uh, if you don't do this, I'm going to stop paying my taxes. Uh, they get they get stuff like that frequently from people, and it really diminishes and tarnishes what you just spent your time telling them. It really it really takes away from it. Perhaps the worst thing to do is to say. Well, you should know better. Uh, I can't, you know, you, you should be ashamed. Uh, I can't believe you're considering this other location. You should, you know, you clearly, you clearly don't know what you're talking about. Uh, just, you know, in general, insulting somebody that you're trying to get to think your way just doesn't work well. Just shouldn't be your top, tap, top tactic or your third one or your fifth tactic. And so you've got be polite. Tell them where you live. Yeah. Uh, tell them a few reasons as to why you support the decision you support yeah. and thank them for their time and don't threaten them. Yeah. You know, the tell them where you live thing, I realize I should, I should expand on that. So you can, st- two things on that. One is Seattle is a districted system. Now that does not necessarily mean that if you live in West Seattle, you can't talk to the council member who's in Northeast. You can still send your, your um, thoughts on a subject to all the council members and you should, uh, don't think that you can, you know, Oh, I've got a West Seattle person. That's the only person I can talk with. No, no, you got to get your message across to everybody because five votes makes policy. The other thing is, certainly with this particular issue, there are a lot of people who care passionately about it who live outside of the city of Seattle. Um, and that's great. You should make your voice known as well. Uh, it may be that a council member says, okay, that's important, and this is kind of a regional amenity. This is kind of a regional thing. But they will say the impacts are borne by this particular community, this physical community that we're looking at. And so they won't, it's not that they're necessarily going to diminish your, your feedback, but what they're going to care about is the impact on the folks that they serve specifically in the city of Seattle. Any other guidance you can give listeners who want to have their voice heard on this issue or any other multitude of issues that come up as the city is growing so much? If you got excited about the arena issue, that is great. And if you got excited about the arena issue, you may be excited about it because you remember sitting in the key uh, when the Sonics played there. But it also means that you're paying attention to mobility around the region, to economic development, to the um, to tax revenue and where it flows and, and, and doesn't flow in our community. You're you're thinking about what are the ripple effects of a, of a decision like this. Um, keep paying attention to that because there's likely going to be another issue that that excites you coming up. Any concluding thoughts on civic engagement by everyday people here in Seattle? It's good. We need more of it. And, and frankly, it just in this, in this environment where so much at the federal level is um, 
you know, the, all the talk of fake news and accusations and gridlock and what is Congress going to be able to do? Cities are where action is happening and cities need people to be involved. People can disagree, you know, and, and, you, and we should. There should be great debates about this stuff. These are important decisions. What really helps at the local level is that it isn't a personal politics if it isn't a teardown politics because you got to live to fight the next day. Dolly, thank you very much for joining me today and, and for sharing your perspective. Uh, it's really valuable for the listeners to understand how to engage our government. So I appreciate your time here. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. That is all for this season of Seattle Growth Podcast. Stay subscribed to the podcast in iTunes. If any follow-up interviews arise from this season, subscribers will be the first to hear them. And you will not want to miss a third season giving further perspective on the transformation underway in Seattle. I'll take you under the hood to see what developers are thinking as they reshape the physical landscape of this city. I'll share stories of native Seattleites who have seen their home city transformed. And I'll bring you further insight into what you can do to shape your neighborhoods and the future of Seattle. This has been an incredible journey for me. I want to thank all of my guests for sharing their time and valuable insight. It has truly been a pleasure meeting so many fascinating people. I want to thank Monica Guzman from Evergrey Newsletter for promoting this podcast and Sonic Boom Day. If you aren't familiar with the Evergrey, it's a daily email newsletter that will keep you connected to what's going on in Seattle and all the awesome things to do and to explore. You can sign up for free at theevergrey.com. I also want to thank Matt Tucker and the crew at Sonics Rising for the reporting they have done on the latest arena developments and for sharing Seattle Growth Podcasts with their passionate audience. Thanks to Dave Softy Mahler and Kevin Shockey at KJR, Tom Glasgow at Como News, Todd Bishop and Taylor Soper at GeekWire Radio for including me on their shows. And thanks to everyone who has been following me on Twitter, at Prof Shulman. I've enjoyed hearing your reactions to each of the episodes. And thanks to everyone who has taken valuable time out of their day to send me an email about the podcast or write a review on iTunes. It keeps me going to hear such positive feedback. I have to thank Victor Balta, Peter Kelly, Michelle Ma, and Rebecca Gorley at the University of Washington's News and Information Office for all their help in attracting tens of thousands of listeners to Seattle Growth Podcast. And thanks to Ed Cromer and Mike Bosey for going above and beyond in their work on the Foster School of Business blog. And most importantly, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for listening and joining me on this journey in the second season of Seattle Growth Podcast. Stay tuned for season three, which will bring you inside information from the people reshaping this city and impassioned stories from the people whose lives have been changed for the better and for the worse. In the meantime, I'm Jeff Shulman, and I hope you'll be good to each other and be good to our city.